All right, friends, um, we are continuing on today in our series, Pursuing Jesus, and I'm excited because Josh Gardner, our minister to students, uh, will be preaching for us today. Um, We are back in this series today, and we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So please open up your Bible to Matthew 6, 25 through 34, or your app. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can grab one in the seat in front of you in a little rack. Um, If you don't have a Bible at all, like you're like, man, I, I like this Bible, I don't have a Bible at all, and I really want one, that Bible in front of you is yours. Take it, take a pen, write your name in it. We love for those to walk out the door. That's our gift to you. We really do mean it. We've got a ton to replace those with. And so uh, if you need a Bible, please take that. We're going to be on page 761 in that Bible. And um, uh, because this is the Word of God, because we believe that we are to surrender our lives to God and His Word, would you please stand with me out of reverence for the Word as we read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Right. <clears throat> Good morning. Um, like Benjamin said, my name is uh, Josh Gardner. I'm the minister to students um, here at Flourishing Grace, um, and we are on our third pursuit. Uh, and our pursuits here at Flourishing Grace are, are things that we say, uh, man, these are things that God has called us as a church to pursue, <laughs> uh, pursue in our lives, um, pursue. And when we think about pursue, we think about like going, just like going after, right? When we think about pursuit. I think about, like, cops pursuing someone. That's what I think about instantly, and, like, that's not a lackadaisical thing. It's, it's a, they're going after uh, this, and that's what we're doing as well. And so today, uh, we're on our third one, the pursuit of the kingdom. Um, and just a refresher, we've, we have five pursuits here. The first one is the pursuit of the word, God's word, the Bible given to us, uh, just like Benger just talked about. This is how we get to know our God and, and uh, get to see who he is and his character. Um, we pursue, uh, our second pursuit is the pursuit of formation, uh, that God actually wants to form us. He, he brings us into his kingdom by the, by the blood of Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God actually dwells in us. We're temples of the living God, and he wants to transform us to be more like Jesus. Then we're going to talk about the kingdom 
pursuit of the kingdom, which we're going to talk about today, so I'm not going to give anything away. Um, and then uh, we will have the pursuit of the table of the community of God. God doesn't save individuals. He saves a people. Um, and then lastly, we have the pursuit of dependency, that everything we do is dependent on our God, that we would be on our knees before Jesus in everything we do. The smallest of the smallest or the biggest of the big things are his. So we're dependent on him. But like I said, today we're talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is an interesting thing because it's this thing that we kind of, um, uh, you know, Jesus talks about it a lot. Um, it's actually the, basically the biggest category uh, that Jesus talks about in his earthly ministry, in the Gospels. And yet the kingdom of God is kind of this thing that is a little bit confusing to us. It's a little bit aloof in our minds, maybe. Um, maybe for some of you it's not. Um, but for a lot of us, it is. Um, sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about, we, we kind of put it together synonymously with like heaven, right? The kingdom of God in the future. Think about the future, heaven, or when all things are made new, and th that is part of it. Uh, but the kingdom of God is actually something that Jesus came in his earthly ministry to establish then and now. So the kingdom of God is something that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, live into every single day day. Um, and uh, Jesus here in this passage in Matthew 6, um, he is talking about anxiety. He's talking about all these things uh, that we worry about. And his call to the people is to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the call. So today, here's what I want to do is I want to spend about half of our time just looking at what is the kingdom of God? What does that entail? Um, and then we're going to look at, okay, so how do we actually do what Jesus says here? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? And why? Why does Jesus, why is that the remedy? Or why is that the, the not the remedy, but why is that the answer uh, to anxiety in our lives? And so, like I said, the kingdom of God is this thing that Jesus talks about all the time. Um, and it's not, just to kind of get some things out of the way, the kingdom of God and what Jesus came to bring, he didn't come to bring a moral code. Jesus didn't come to establish a religious system either. All throughout the Gospels, there's none of that. He came to establish a kingdom, a kingdom in which he rules and reigns, right? Um, Patrick Schreiner, he says this, he says, the kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. The kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place, what Jesus is doing is he's coming to establish the kingdom that was set at the beginning, right? In the beginning, if you remember, God created everything, and it was perfect and good. He created us, and I think, I feel like I say this every time I preach, but I love that Genesis says that God walked in the cool of the day with us. What a beautiful image, right? There's harmony. There's glorious, like he is over everything, but in the beginning, what did we do? We chose, we said, God is not a good enough God. We will be our own God. We'll be better. We want to be God. And it turned all of our world into this turmoil that we see today. Right? The curse of sin has destroyed us. And now the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of the world has taken over. And it has run rampant. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see this prophecy of that God is going to come, and he's going to renew his kingdom. His king, Jesus, will come and establish his kingdom on this earth. Mark, the gospel of Mark, um, is an amazing gospel. 
I love that the gospel, Mark, Mark is just, he's trying to get to the end. If you read the gospel of Mark, he's literally like, he'll tell a story and he'll be like, okay, and then, okay, and then, okay, and then, okay, and then. It just, it's just, let's get to it. And I love that because uh, he gets to the end. The end is that Jesus dies on the cross, the crux of everything that we believe. But at the beginning of Mark, Mark 15, he records this, as, or the first, the first thing that Jesus says that Mark records is this. Jesus says this, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the moment, and Mark says, this is the first thing that Jesus says, or he records that he says right here. And that's so important for us to understand because Jesus is not just living and teaching and, and, and uh, doing all these things. He is establishing his kingdom. Right Again, his kingdom for his people in his place. He's saying, this is my kingdom. I will rule this kingdom well. This will be, these will be my people. Um, and so that's what Jesus is doing. But you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, <laughs> Josh, if that's true, if Jesus established his kingdom 2,000 years ago, why, why are things still messed up? Um, and I'm glad you asked because that, that's a good question. Um, man, Jesus, uh, that's because we live in this time that, uh, if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard this, but we live in this time that theologians call the already not yet. How many of you have heard that? A couple of you? Okay. Well, now you've heard it. So next time, you know, the already not yet. And it's this idea that Jesus did come to, uh, he came to establish his kingdom. He came to establish a way into his kingdom by his death and resurrection. And he came to establish a people. But the Bible tells us that back when Jesus came, he did not come to fulfill that completely in that moment. He came to save us from our greatest need. He came to set the captives free, not from a political party, not from, a, uh, not from a, uh, um, another nation, but from our own sin. Jesus came to defeat our greatest enemy. And then the Bible says that in the end, in the end, our king will come back, will come back. But for now, um, he, uh, he is king and he rules over everything, but the world has not accepted that. John 1 says that the light came into the world, Jesus, God, came into the world. He lived, he walked among us, but it says the world did not know him or receive him. Jesus is actually king over everything, but the world says, no, don't want that. So that's why we're in this place right now where if, if today, if today the whole world says Jesus is king and we got down on our knees, the entire world, tomorrow we would wake up in a different world. Like the world would be completely and utterly changed. But it's not. It's not. Because people have not said Jesus is king. And the Bible says in the end, in Revelation, uh, it says that in the end that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Like in the end, when the kingdom is fully here, um, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some will confess that out of joy and honor and love and worship. And some will confess that in anger and in the reality that's in front of them. Um, it's not saying here that everyone will be saved and everyone will be brought into the kingdom of God. That's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is in the end, it will be undisputable that Jesus is king. And if you've trusted in any other king, 
you're not part of the kingdom of God. You have chosen the kingdom of the world. But for now, for now, right now, what's happening is that the kingdom of God that's being established, or that has been established, and the kingdom of the world fight against each other. It's like this idea, if you've looked at a map before, I was trying to think of a, another way of thinking of this, but sometimes uh, when we do maps of like, um, we're trying to figure out kind of uh, groups maybe for church stuff, we'll like go and look, this is creepy, but we'll go and look at your address and see where you're at, right? And kind of look, okay, like this group would probably be good because they're close together, you know? Um, and I think about these maps where there's these circles of people all out. And the map is the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of the world. But those circles where God has saved people and brought people into relationship with him are the kingdom of God dwelling and expanding and growing as people come to know him. Um, so the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, they're at odds, they're opposites of one another. So this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, helping us to actually see that that's true, um, that this kingdom that Jesus came to establish um, is, is very different than the kingdom of the earth. Very different than the kingdom of the earth. Um, very different than the kingdom of the world. Because Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about a couple of things. He talks about how to get into the kingdom of God a lot. He talks about how do the people who exist inside the kingdom operate, right? And he talks about how does the king operate inside the kingdom of God. And so there's just a couple of things um, that I want to point out to you. A lot of times when I'm talking to students about the kingdom of God, I talk about how it's this upside-down kingdom. It's the opposite, almost opposite of everything in our world. The way the world thinks, the kingdom of God is the complete opposite. And we have to see that. Um, So here, I just want to point out a couple things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God um, as we kind of think about this and dwell on the kingdom of God. Um, he says, the people of the kingdom of God love their enemies and even pray for them. Like, that's a crazy thing. Like, we kind of, I think sometimes we get numb to that. Like, yeah, love our enemies, okay. But like, think about that. Your enemy, okay? Who's your enemy? Someone who hates you. Like, someone who is out to get you. Someone who does not want your good who wants actually destruction for your life. That is your enemy. And yet, the kingdom of God, the people of the kingdom of God are called to love and even pray for them. And not like, oh, I'll pray for them, I'll pray for them. But it's like, no, pray blessing over their life. Why? Because we were enemies of God. And God brought us in by his grace and mercy. None of us were worth uh, what God has brought us out of. Uh, another one we see is that uh, the people of kingdom of God are called to put their own interests, uh, put their, uh, or sorry, put the people's interests above their own, right? To think of other people more highly than themselves. This is what we're called to do, to treat others as we would want to be treated, to put others' interests above our own. And if you think about the world, the world says no, like, get yours figure your stuff out, like let other people worry about themselves, let them figure that out, figure out your interests first, and then maybe, you know, if you're benevolent, or if you're, not benevolent, if, you're, if you are kind, you can, you, can, uh, you can help other people. Um, another one we see that Jesus teaches and we see all throughout scripture is that, uh, that we're called to care for the farthest reaches of society, the poor, the sick, the widow, the orphan, the outcast, those rejected by society. Jesus constantly went to these people over and over again. And what? He was mocked and ridiculed again and again for doing that. 
people would say, like, if you only knew, like, or if, if, you, if you really were who you say you were, if you were really a prophet, or you were really from God, you wouldn't be doing this because these people, what are you doing? And Jesus says, no, I go to the people who are at the farthest reaches of society and I care for them. The kingdom of God um, also um, has um, uh, the ethic of that humans are image bearers of God. The humans are made in the image of God and are treated as such. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter uh, your location. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you're on your deathbed or you're in your, in your mother's womb. You are made in the image of God. Imago Dei. You have been made in God's image and so you are worth, you have value and you, you have worth just based on that not based on what you contribute to society, not based on what, what you've done, but just the fact that God has knit you together and called you, um, called you his own. The kingdom of God also says a crazy upside down, or has a crazy upside down view of sex, right? That sex is between a man and a wife in a covenantal marriage under God. Not only that, but Jesus goes as far to say, even if you look at someone who's not your spouse with lust, you've committed adultery with them. Right? What does the world say? The world says, look all you want. <laughs> the world says, look, it's fine. You're not touching. You're good. Like, that's what the world says. It's actually maybe even healthy for you. There's studies out there that like, are trying to prove that. It's, and this is completely opposite of what the world says. The kingdom of God also says don't value money and earthly things above of everything else. Like don't store up stuff that, that you're going to leave behind. It's just going to be uh, turn rusty or, or, or moths will come in and destroy it all. It's just all going to go away. What does the world say? No, get, like, get the bag. That's like get the money or the retirement. Make sure you have everything you need for the future. Make sure it's all there. Chase after it your entire life. Make sure it's there. Have money. Do, do everything that you want to do. Chase after every desire that's in your heart. Do that. That's what the world says. But the kingdom of God is completely opposite of that. And, and here's what's crazy, is that the kingdom of God, what, what Jesus is establishing here, ruffles the feathers of both the most worldly and the most religious. Because it doesn't abide by any of those rules. Because all of that is part of this kingdom of the world. And here's what Jesus is doing when he's on the, on the earth. He's going around and he's teaching and people are flocking to him. Why? Because, because in Jesus' kingdom, in the words that Jesus is saying, there is, even like, no matter who you are, you read those words, you hear what Jesus says and you go, man, there's something really beautiful about that. Like there is. Like we think about, we think about what Jesus is saying here it's so beautiful, and that's what Jesus is showing, is that his kingdom, his design for us is so much more beautiful than the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the earth that we're in now. Um, so this kingdom is upside down. Not only that, but like I said before, Jesus talks about how, uh, how someone gets into the kingdom of God is upside down from what the world would say. So the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God is not like going to Costco. How many of you have a Costco membership? Okay, so you've been through the process, about half of you. Um, how this works, okay, I hate when I lose my Costco card. Um, 
You go into the exit, right? You pay your $60 for the year or whatever, and you get your picture taken, okay? Um, they let you smile at that one. You go, and, but you don't want to, but you go and you take your picture, and then you take that card, and what do you have to do every time? I can't get it out because my packing's there. But, like, you get it out and you show them. You're like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here, and you have to show them your face, right, when you're at self-checkout. Anybody else annoyed about that, self-checkout? No, just me? Okay, cool. There you go. Um, at self-checkout, like, you have to show your face and prove that it's you and prove that you did all the things to get, to get the membership, right? Um, I can't hand my membership to one of you and you go anymore. Um, and that's, like, that is how the world thinks about entering in. But Jesus is saying the complete opposite. He's saying, look, the way that you get into the kingdom of God, there's only one way. It's perfection. That's it. That is what the kingdom of God requires. Why? Because the king of the kingdom of God is holy and perfect. He cannot be in a place with imperfection. So you have to be perfect. And Jesus goes around and says, none of you can be perfect. No one. None of us. We could try till the day we die, today till the day we die, to try to be perfect. And guess what? <laughs> the... the even if, which we couldn't, but even if the last part of our lives, we weren't perfect. And so therefore, guess what? We're not. We're not perfect. So Jesus says, look, you have to throw yourself at my feet. And Jesus isn't saying this as, an, as a man. He's not saying this as a, another person like you or me. He's saying this as God. Like he is God who came down and humbled himself to be like you and me. And then he walked a life in which he did not sin because he's perfect, not because he was a really good, moral, upstanding person. No, because he is God. So he lived the life that you and I couldn't live, and then he, he died the death that you and I deserve on the cross. He says, in my blood, in my sacrifice, in my death, in my resurrection, you are made clean, you are made whole, and you're brought from death to life, you're brought into the kingdom of God. And this shakes everything, because the world says, like, okay, I need to get maybe a, a bunch of things or, or maybe I need to, uh, like, if I chase after my own desires or I chase after things, then I'll have, like, kind of this, you know, almost heavenly experience. Um, the, the religions of the world would say, religion says I have to do and kind of achieve and check the boxes and have all these things in place so that maybe, hopefully, one day I'll stand before God and he'll go, like, look at my resume and he'll go, or he'll put them on the, you know, the grand scale, and he'll go, yeah, good enough. But that's completely opposite of what Jesus says. Completely opposite of what Jesus says about his kingdom. That we cannot, we actually have to admit, to get in, we have to admit that we cannot do that. And we must have Jesus. We must trust fully in Jesus. So if we believe in Jesus, we're brought into the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Colossians 1, 13 says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to, or transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So, sorry, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what God has done. He has transferred us. He has picked us up. He has washed us off and he has transferred us Philippians 3 says, For many of whom I often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. But the power that enables him, or by the power, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying here, look, if, if you're an enemy of the cross, then your God is not God, your God is your belly, and you glory in your own shame. That is your end. Because you've set your mind on the earth, on the kingdom of the earth. But for them, he's talking to these Philippians, right? The church in Philippi has trusted fully in Jesus. And so now their citizenship, where they are now from, is not of the earth, but of heaven. They are partakers, they are citizens of the kingdom of God. Not only that, but we're given a lot of things. When, when God brings us into his kingdom, we're given these identities that we did not earn. First Peter 2 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are automatic when Jesus brings us into the kingdom of God, we are called these things, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are true about you if you've believed in Jesus because you're a citizen of the kingdom. These are automatically true. These are not things that we aspire to. These are not things that we hope for. These are things that are given to us freely because of Jesus, because of our citizenship. And that's now, not in our future, but now. God calls us these things. So, um, that's my introduction. So, uh, we'll keep going. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, kind of is. But now, going back to Matthew 6. And here's what I want to get to. Okay? I know I just did a lot. Um, and so, if your brain is spinning, I'm sorry. I hope I, hope I was helpful. Um, but, Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, um, he's saying, don't be anxious. Um, and what's funny is what we do is we kind of stop there a lot of times in this passage. We go like, okay, you read it and you go, okay, don't be anxious. I just need to not be anxious right now. Just not be anxious. But that's not where Jesus stops. He doesn't say, don't be anxious. Good luck. He says, no, no, no. Don't be anxious. And then he gives all these examples. He's like, look at the birds. Look at the lilies. And he's trying to flip their reality where he's showing them what's actually true. What he's doing is he's trying to get them to see Instead of seeing the world through the eyes of the kingdom of the earth, kingdom of the world, start seeing the world through the eyes of the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Like, are they not more valuable than you? Well, that's a kingdom ethic. You are more valuable than them. And yet God feeds them. God cares for them. God, God clothes them. So would he not clothe you? Look at that. Do you see that? change. And so he's saying, so now we must seek first the kingdom of God. Trust in what, God, what God's kingdom and the king is saying, and not in the world. The kingdom of the world is constantly screaming at us to trust in it. Really, the kingdom of the world is constantly screaming at us to trust in anything but God. That's, that's what's happening. Right, because the kingdom of the world, the world around us, is reigned and ruled by someone right now. The kingdom of the world is reigned and ruled by Satan, the one who hates God the most and does not want you to trust him. 
does not want me to trust him. So Jesus is saying, look, but if you could actually see the kingdom, seek first and you'll see the truth, the reality of what is to come and who God is. If we really knew in the depths of our bones who was in control at all times, if we really knew that the one who's in control, he will make all things right, he is the most good we could ever have, and even in the worst of our worst, he is with us, we wouldn't be anxious. We would be able to walk in freedom. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so trusting in the kingdom of God, uh, or seeking, sorry, seeking first the kingdom of God is, is kind of like this. Um, how many of you have ever taught a child how to like swim or like jump in the pool? Anybody? Doing a lot of hand raising today. Yeah? Okay. Um, so last summer, I uh, helped my niece learn how to swim. My sister, I got there and she was really frustrated with her daughter, uh, Lily, because um, she's kind of a diva about things, okay? Um, and I mean, she was four, so okay, she's a four-year-old, uh, or five. But uh, she, um, she didn't want, she, like my parents have a pool, she was having a hard time learning how to swim, and the big thing was she didn't want to get water up her nose, okay? Nobody wants to get water up their nose, right? I don't, but it's not the end of the world, right? Is it the end of the world when you get water up your nose? No, okay. Some of you are like, yes. I don't get in the water. Um, so I spend a while, you know, she's standing at the end of the pool, okay, like this, you know, and she's crying, actually. I don't want to get water in my nose. That's like her, you know, she's just crying. I'm like, Lily, dude, and I'm, I'm standing in the pool. And I'm like, just jump, like jump and just, you don't even have to know how to swim. Just jump and I will pick you up. I'm trying to teach her like how to get in and just be in the water. And she's like, I don't want to. And we spend like, you know, 30 minutes, you know, bargaining and debating, like all, all these different things, right? I think ice cream got thrown in there, uh, bribery, because I'm the uncle, so I can do what I want. Um, and so, uh, um, and so but, but here's the reality of what's happening, right? Like Lily, she's on the edge of the pool, and she's scared. Why is she scared? Well, her, her reality, like when she's looking at it, she's like, if I get water up my nose, it's the end all be all. I'm dead. Okay, if I get water up my nose. But also, like, there's fear, right? She can't stand in the water. She's too little. She can't stand where we were. Um, we were in, like, three, four, four feet. So it's like it, she would have gone underwater, right? But I'm standing there, right? I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm standing there thinking, you're probably going to get water in your nose, okay? You probably are. That's the reality. But it's going to be worth it, right? It's worth it. And I know, too. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I, whatever you do, if you jump, even if you jump like over me, I can catch you. Like I'm, there's very little that could happen. Maybe lightning could strike the pool and then it would be a problem. But like, but like for the most part, I'm sitting there going, it's not outside of my power right now to, to hold you, right? To, to make sure that you don't fail, right? Like that's the reality. And finally, finally, she kind of like builds up some trust and she jumps in. And what does she do? She jumps in, she gets under the water, but she didn't get water in her nose, and I picked her up, and what is she doing? Oh my gosh, Uncle Josh, that was amazing. Again, again. I'm like, okay. So we do, again, second time, she gets water in her nose, okay? She gets water in her nose, pick her up, uh, but like, she's fine. She's like a little bit hurt, but then guess what? She realizes, oh, Uncle Josh is here. He's gonna pick me up. I'm, he's here. Oh, and he was right about the water. It's actually not, like it hurts, but like it's, 
the fun outweighs the hurt and like all that, you know, right? And, and I was thinking about this, and I know it falls apart at some point, but like this is what we do is we're standing at the edge of the pool and we're looking at the world and, and when we stare at the water and we stare at the kingdom of the earth and we stare at all of the things that the earth says we should fear and worry about or desire and hope for, we don't want to jump towards what God is telling us to do. We don't want to look at his kingdom and go, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Because it's scary. But the moment we do, we seek his kingdom first in one little way in our life. And we see how God is not a liar. And that even if we got hurt, that he's there. And what he says in his word is really true of him. Then we get out and we do it again. And it grows, and he steps back farther, and, and there's more and more in his kingdom that we see and get to participate in when we do that. And so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to spend the last little bit of our time just saying, okay, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. So how, how do we do that in our lives? How do, we, how do we actually seek his kingdom first? Well, the, fr- the first thing I want to point out is that we need to learn the way of the kingdom. We got to learn the way of the kingdom. If we don't know what Jesus says about the kingdom of God in his word, then, then we can't pursue, we can't seek first the kingdom. So you have to open your Bible and read, start with the Gospels and read the Sermon on the Mount. Read, just read through the Gospels. What does Jesus say? The whole, whole Bible shows what the kingdom of God is. But not only that, but God actually calls us to uh, be discipled and to make disciples. Like, discipleship should be part of our lives. Sometimes when we think about discipleship, we think about, like, a program that a church has, like a discipleship program. But the reality is that's not how it's supposed to be at all. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to be disciples. Like, Christian, being a Christian and being disciples should be synonymous. It's not. We've messed that up, and that's a whole other sermon. But it should be synonymous. And so what that means is find somebody. There are people in this room that you look at and you go, man, that person loves Jesus. I see how they love Jesus. If it, it's just saying, hey, will you help me to follow Jesus? Maybe for some of you, it's like, maybe for some of you um, men, I'm thinking, like, man, maybe you see a man who loves his wife like Christ loves the church. Like, you see that. You can see it. You're like, man, I want to be like that just saying, will you help me follow Jesus the way that you, you are? It's amazing. Please show me what Jesus has done in your life. Help me seek the, the kingdom of God and not my own kingdom. The second thing we have to do is we have to ask for kingdom rule in our life. We have to ask. Um, one of our pursuits is dependency, right? And, and uh, the reality is we can't like strong arm this, We can't. We have to learn the way of the kingdom and then ask the Holy Spirit to do work in us. And here's the beauty of it, you guys, is if you believe in Jesus, God dwells in you. His Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's there. His temple is your body. And guess what? He is going to do ridiculous, crazy things that you and I do not have the power to do. If you ask him for it, you're going to see love your enemies in your life. You might be sitting here right now going, I don't know how I could love my enemy. I know my enemy right now. There's no way. And you will see that in your life. You'll see that. Ask. Jesus says, 
to his disciples when they, when they ask how to pray. He says, pray them like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just praying that God's kingdom come and his will be done in your life every day. Again and again and again and again. Every day. This is what it looks like to seek God's kingdom first. So ask for kingdom rule in your life. Third, go to war for the kingdom. Go to war for the kingdom. Uh, originally, this point was live for the kingdom. And I, uh, the reason why I changed it to go to war is because the reality is if we're going to live out the kingdom of God in our lives, it's, we're going to be fighting a war against the kingdom of the earth. I'm not talking about the people of the kingdom of the earth. Okay, that's a different thing, different, another sermon also. But I'm talking about the earth. Like Satan does not want you to declare Jesus as king in your life. So guess what? You are going to, if you learn the way of the kingdom and you seek after the kingdom first in your life, in your job, in your, you know, whatever, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be great. The kingdom of the earth is fighting against you. That might mean you lose your job. That might mean you lose a friend. That might mean you, lo- you lose certain things in your life because you're seeking after his kingdom. It's war. But we have to intentionally go after the kingdom of God. We have to look up and see what God is doing around us. God is already at work. And so if we look up and we see and we step into those things, whether it's discipling other people, on the flip side of what I said before, like being a person who makes disciples, who says, I want to help people follow Jesus. That's what I want to do. I'm going to spend time doing that. I'm going to give my life to that because that's what Jesus calls me to be. Or it's seeing the lostness around me and doing something about it. Like sometimes, if we're honest, right, we see the lostness around us, and there's a lot of it. And we kind of just sit back. We say, someone else, I'm too nervous. Or, But I think, I think that happens because we're looking at the kingdom of the world and not at the kingdom of, of God. If we saw the kingdom of God rightly, we could chase after these things. Or people who are hurting around us, people who are suffering, God calls us to step into suffering, not run from it, even though, again, the kingdom of the world says, don't suffer. Actually, if you're suffering, God actually probably doesn't like you. That's what the kingdom of the world would say, right? But God says, step into other people's suffering. What if we, yeah, what if we went to war for the kingdom of God in our lives? What if we fought hard because the kingdom of God, uh, because not because we're trying to prove anything to God, but because we have been made citizens of the kingdom. And now all we want is for the people around us to know the king and the kingdom and be a part of it. What would God do? So here's what I want to do. Final question for you this morning. This is a question that actually last year when we went through this series, Josh and I asked on the last kind of sermon of the kingdom of God. He asked this, and I want to ask it again because I think it's so important. It says, where in your life is it most clear that the kingdom of God is not reigning and ruling? Where in your life is it most clear that the kingdom of God is not reigning and ruling? Is there an area of your life, just one, just think of one, is there an area of your life where you, you are pursuing the kingdom of the earth, the kingdom of the world, and not God's kingdom? And then what do you need to do? Do you need to learn the way of the kingdom? Do you need to ask for kingdom rule in your life? Do you need to go to war? What do you need to do? 
God is calling us into and be a part of his kingdom where he rules and he reigns. And in the end, he will come back and every tear will be wiped away. He'll make everything new and it'll be glorious. But he's calling us into that now. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. Um, there's going to be uh, some uh, prayer team up front as well during this last song, um, during this time. Uh, if, you, if, if you're like feeling convicted by the Spirit, like this is an area of my life that I know it's just not under the rule and reign of Jesus. Man, come share that with someone. Have someone pray for you. Um, or maybe there's something else going on you just need prayer for. Whatever you need prayer-wise, you can come up here. Let's pray to that end.